Hey, it's Rick Jensen, 11.50 a.m., 101.7 FM, WDEL, streaming live at WDEL.com. So I've been talking with a number of people about, tragically, uh, the increase in uh, overdoses here in Delaware, as uh, well as most of the country. Also, something new coming in and around a number of different states, which is uh, benzos, uh, benzodiazepines and benzo-related drugs like that uh, that are showing up in opioids as well. And I've mentioned this on the air one time, I think, and I'm going to do it now because we have Dr. Chris Cassell is about to be on the show. Dr. Chris Cassell is uh, a very, very respected surgeon who is retired, and now he is uh, the medical and health director over at uh, Cesar Rodney Institute. Here in Delaware. So I I got this phone call from a friend of mine last week. And we ended up talking for like an an hour or more because the day before he called, his daughter's boyfriend, who had been two and a half years free of, of addiction fell back into addiction, and uh, when uh, his his girlfriend went to walk uh, her dog, she found his body on the back porch. This is a friend of mine's daughter. Great guy, he said, hard worker, and addiction. Uh, She had Narcan because she knew that he had a problem in the past, and you know that whether it's five years, 10 years, or even 15 years, um, something can trigger a relapse, and something did, and she had it there, and she knew that he was relapsing and said, don't come back until you're clean, and it's just a horrible tragedy all around the place, and, of course, this young woman is, well, she's out of her mind with this. It's just, it's a huge struggle, and uh, thank God she has a lot of really good friends and, and a loving family to help her out. It's happening more and more and more. Fentanyl is also such a uh, deadly toxin. But understand something, and I've learned this from people who are in recovery and also working in the recovery industry, Uh, many of them from Recovery Centers of America, people whom I've got to know through the radio station. And what they'll tell you is that when you have somebody who's struggling with addiction and they see these news stories that there's something out there killing people, it doesn't freak them out where they say, oh, my gosh, I got to get well. Far too often they say, really, what's that called? I think I want some of that. Which to the rest of us, we think, what are you thinking? Well, Dr. Chris Cassells, again, he's the uh, policy director. Uh, for for health and um, medical issues at the Rodney, uh, Caesar Rodney Institute. He's on the phone right now. Chris, thanks for being on. I hope you're well, sir. I, I am well, Rick. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And, and I want um, listeners to know that Chris reached out to me because he's been doing research now on fentanyl and, and what's happening here and uh, perhaps even why. I have not yet read your paper. You, I want people to know you just contacted me yesterday, and I figure, you know what? Uh, I will read the paper that you've produced on this. Email it to me. And I know you well enough to know that you can uh, let people uh, know what's going on 
without me having to have the document in front of me and asking you specific questions. So go right ahead, please. Well, Rick, I'll, I'll tee off right where you started uh, with the issue of benzodiazepines. These are all first cousins of Valium. Valium is the granddaddy of all benzodiazepines. And basically what you have is the drug dealers who have taken over the marketplace for narcotic medication um, as, as doctors and pharmacists and the DEA and all of the regulatory agencies withdrew from the pain, uh, pain medicine marketplace. The drug dealers had a free, unregulated marketplace. So they began to lace their products competitively with other drugs, notably benzodiazepines, but also with Benadryl, which is an over-the-counter antihistamine, and then nowadays with fentanyl. Here's the problem with benzodiazepines. You can have all the Narcan in the world in your pocket, but it will not reverse Valium or benzodiazepines. So those effects are going to blow right on through the Narcan. The other thing is you can't just use Narcan uh, once on somebody who's OD'd. Narcan disappears in about a half an hour from the bloodstream, whereas fentanyl, morphine, heroin, all of the others, they last about four hours. So you can't just have one dose of Narcan, Narcan in your emergency kit. You've got to have four or five or six, or you've got to be willing to turn the addict over to the authorities, uh, the, you know, the EMTs, the hospital, whoever, to get them proper treatment because one dose of Narcan isn't enough to save a life. No, so, true. I, mean, I was yeah, just yeah, telling the story problem. of my, my friend and his daughter, and, and there's we don't know if, uh, if there is benzo as well. Uh, any amount of uh, fentanyl, but uh, but I do know that uh, she had actually given him uh, naloxone, Narcan, and um, right. but it didn't have any effect. And then, like the day after, the the day after this phone call with, uh, with my friend, I learned about benzos that are being right. sold with this stuff as well. And I thought, oh my god! And I started reading more about this. And just as you said, I mean, you know, the Narcan, uh, Naloxone, whatever, it, it'll help reverse the opioid overdose briefly, like you said, for half an hour. And that'll improve breathing. But the, the person may not regain consciousness and could still die because of the sedation from the benzos. So it's like she may have done the right thing at the time. We don't know. But if there was benzo well, in this as well, that it might not even have helped at all. Yeah, well, the, the, the benzos are not reversible. There's no drug to reverse them, and the Narcan has too short a half-life. They've never really developed a longer version of it. But, see, these drugs are being added in as uh, to, to make your street product more sellable. And, and fentanyl is the big granddaddy because you can take a little pill that you think is your mommy's Xanax out of her uh, mommy's little helper cabinet, and it's a nice little pink pill, uh, and it's got the right imprint in it, but it's been laced with fentanyl. And fentanyl is just so, so deadly. It's, it's 100 times more deadly than heroin. And so, so the drug dealers, you know, they're not doing this in a controlled environment. They're just trying to make their product more desirable on the street. And so, you know, that's, that's the, the marketplace right now. Some of this stuff 
looks like a sweet tart that you can buy at the candy aisle. Damn. Uh, there's, there's really no control over this. I mean, and, and if you look at the numbers, Rick, I mean, here's what's happening. I mean, the number that everybody's throwing around out there is 515 deaths from fentanyl overdose, 85% of it fentanyl overdose in Delaware in 2021. We blew through that number this year, and we don't even have the stats yet. On a nationwide level, fentanyl is now killing people at a rate that is higher than the daily rate of COVID deaths. But the difference is the COVID deaths are in people who are invariably, 85% of them, 75, 85% of them are over the age of 65. So on average, COVID shortens your lifespan by about 10 days, about 10 days. Whereas in fentanyl deaths, you're shortening the lifespan by 50 to 60 years per person. So when you talk about loss of life years, fentanyl blows COVID out of the water. And we are doing nothing about it on a national level except putting out this anemic little thing called Narcan. It's something called the MAT program. They're trying to put Narcan in schools, Narcan in, the, in your party kit and all that. But it's, it's inadequate because people aren't trained in how to properly use it. So, I mean, we are losing this battle big time. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry about the loss of your friend's uh, boyfriend's life, but, but very, very, very soon we are all going to know a 15-year-old girl who went to her first party and somebody gave her a mommy's little helper and she's dead. I mean, it's not going to be like I heard about somebody two blocks over who died from COVID. It's going to be very soon that we all know somebody who's dead from fentanyl. I already believe, and I have believed for years, that everybody, everybody, and everybody listening knows somebody who who has been touched by addiction. It could be like, you know, a friend's uh, mom, dad, son, daughter, things like that. Everybody knows somebody who has been touched by addiction. It might be someone you know who's uh, suffering from addiction as well. What you're saying is that fentanyl now and the way it's being used is so deadly that if you look at the numbers, it's going to affect everybody's life directly in some way? Yeah. I, I, it, it, there's, no, there's no way around it. I mean, for instance, we, re- we broke all the records last year with 100,000 fentanyl deaths nationwide. We blew through that number by the end of July. I mean, so we're talking about 50, 60 percent increases year over year in fentanyl deaths. And you have to understand, you know, the opioid thing has been around for a long time, but opioids historically were controlled by agriculture. We used to be able to take Agent Orange into the poppy fields of Afghanistan and and China and places like that and, and defoliate the entire crop. Of, of opium poppies, the poppy fields. Yeah. But you can't, do that. you can't do that with fentanyl. For many years, economically, the opium poppy was the best way to make narcotics because the opium poppy only makes the left-handed isomer of the drug opium. 
and the left-handed isomer is the only one that's active. 50% of your crop is inactive. It's the right-handed isomer. But that's but when fentanyl comes along, it's a hundred times more powerful. So you can afford to give up 50% of your yield by left and right isomers w- without causing any economic change to you. So and you can't defoliate the mountains of Afghanistan to control fentanyl. So all of our interdiction programs on an international level are useless. So, so Chris, by the way, folks, if you just tuned in, it's Dr. Chris Cassells, who is um, head of uh, health and medical policy for the Caesar Rodney Institute here in in Delaware. So I I remember reading uh, a while back that most of the uh, heroin in this country comes uh, not necessarily from Afghanistan, but from Colombia. Afghanistan fueling uh, the United Kingdom and uh, other areas around there, uh, mostly. When, when it comes to, uh, yeah. you know, the, the smuggling. So we get most of, uh, obviously, the marijuana from over the southwest border, heroin over the southwest border, methamphetamines even, too. Um, where is the fentanyl coming from? Is it made in the United States, or is it coming across the southwest border or elsewhere? Where is it coming from? Most, most of the labs that finalize the product are in Mexico. But the chemicals that are used to make it are actually quite easily obtained, and there are many different formulations. You can move both the methyl groups and the hydroxy groups around on the fentanyl molecule very easily and come up with variations. So it doesn't take very good chemistry to make it. And since there's so many uh, reagents out there, you really can't control the precursors. Now, with, uh, with the speed that's out there, we could control it because... You know, the uh, the garage uh, basement chemists were making it out of pseudofedrin, which is an antihistamine that you could get in drugstores. So we limited the ability to get your hands on large quantities of pseudofedrin, and we got that under the methamphetamine under control. But you cannot do that with fentanyl. These drugs flow freely. They're, they're easily made by the cartels, mostly in Mexico. Uh, a single carrier, a single you know, mule bringing um, stuff over in a backpack. I mean, something the size of, you know, a sandwich in your little baggie, that's enough to kill 100,000 people. I mean, it's, it's, it's so concentrated. And if you simply, you know, they're drug agents who've keeled over from breathing the air from dust that's around fentanyl. That's how dangerous it is. So it's tiny quantities it's really easy to hide. Our, you know, our seizures of, uh, you know, uh, the, the Drug Enforcement Agency and the, and the Border Patrol people, are the, their seizures of, of drugs are going up exponentially. It's like a year ago, the record seizure was 100,000 pills. And now uh, in the last month or so, it's well over a million pills. And everybody says, everybody agrees that the number of seizures is just a reflection of how much is actually coming across because we're only getting a small percentage of it. So by every metric, there is a huge amount of fentanyl coming into the United States. And we're, we're really not, we're not equipped to do anything about it. Yeah, that's the question. Okay, what do you do about it? Now, you know, the so-called drug war in this country has been a failure. Over the last what forty yeah. years, fifty years, something like that, it's a, an absolute failure. So, 
despite you know the, the horror of this, what do you do, and who does what? Um, I, I all I you know I I talk to my seven year old granddaughter and tell her that those little pills that your friends might have, you might see, they might look like candy. They can and will kill you. You you simply cannot trust anything that your mommy and your daddy or your doctor uh, or anybody other than your mommy, daddy, and doctor give to you. And I, I'm just starting on my own, you know, protect your own family kind of level because I don't know the answer to that, Rick. I'm, I'm kind of a policy wonk, but I mean, really, I'm just a medical guy and uh, with a, a, you know, love of people and a, a love of public health and epidemiology. Um, and I, and I, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I do know that Narcan isn't the answer. And and uh, the, the 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 large policy decisions being made right now are doing nothing about it. The vast majority of heroin and uh, fentanyl seizures are at the southwest border. But yes, but the 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 drug smugglers they'll find another way. That's why there are tunnels under under the fence, and uh, also uh, they they are somehow are able to still smuggle some through commercial air, not nearly as much as they do over the southwest border. So that's well, o- that's that's obvious we we know where it's coming from basically. So Yeah, we know where we 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 know the supply chain. Yeah. The supply chain is in fact South America, Central America, Mexico, into the United States. That's the supply chain. All right, and we know that so that no matter how much they stop, some always gets through. Oh, the, the the overwhelming majority gets through. Nobody contests that. I mean, we we only catch a small amount of it. And and honestly, the border patrol guys are so overwhelmed right now. There's no way that, that they can tend to these kind of details when they're they're spending, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day behind a desk processing people. There's no way they're they're doing what they should be doing which is, you know, running the dogs up and down all the trucks and interdicting everything that comes across. Um, To wrap this up, I'm just looking at the Department of Justice, Southern District of California, and they reported just, uh, let's see, August 11th of this year that fentanyl overdoses um, have increased 2,375% just in San Diego County, they're at the border. And according to the CBP, seizures of fentanyl are up about 323% in the last three years. So, yeah. I, again... And, and you're, talking, you're talking about a localized problem at the southern border as opposed to, say, Martha's Vineyard. But let's put this in Delaware perspective. Delaware ranks third in the nation after West Virginia and Kentucky for fentanyl per capita deaths. Saw that the other day. That, that That's just heartbreaking. That That is just for a, a small state that is presumably small enough in which to do social experiments, in which to interdict things, in which to make a difference. That's not a reasonable metric, Rick. 
No, it, it, it's not. And what you're saying is what needs to happen right now on a family level. Are you uh, publishing uh, the, this report and your suggestions and recommendations on the Caesar Rodney website? It, it will go up on the Caesar Rodney website on Thursday. It's going out on a couple of national blogs tomorrow. Um, and then uh, we'll see if the, the Delaware State News and the Business Times and places like that will pick it up. I, I they they the news journal typically won't pick up my stuff, um, but uh, it is going out nationally, and I'll I'll send it over to Cato and some places like that. Well, I'm really um, uh, I, I, I really don't... appreciate the fact that you come here first. I really do. Thank you very very much. I appreciate that, sir. It's Dr. Christopher Cassells, C A S S C E L L S M D. He is director of the Center for Health Policy at Caesar Rodney Institute, and I'd often. Uh, a frequent guest here on this program as well. Thank you, Doctor. Thanks for the cautions. Rick, thank you very much.